0: Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, then please turn to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. We're going to read Psalm 99 and Psalm 100 uh, this evening. we would be focusing in on Psalm 100 a little later. But I want us to read both of uh, the Psalms. Uh, here: Psalm 99 and then on to Psalm 100. This is what God's Word says. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion, he is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name, he is holy. The king is mighty, he loves justice, you have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punish their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. As we come to Psalm 100, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And we need uh, the illuminating work of your uh, Holy Spirit now that we might comprehend in our minds and our hearts. Uh, Lord, our whole person might apply your word uh, to our circumstances this evening. We need the help of your spirit to do that. And we pray that you would draw near now. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you say thank you? Do you say thank you? I hope you do say thank you when somebody cooks you a nice meal or they give you a gift at birthdays or or Christmas or or just randomly or someone makes you a cuppa or or opens a door for you or on any other occasion when someone else does something for you, you say thank you. Maybe you're of the view that you don't hear please and thank you as much as you used to, that uh, there's a new generation today who doesn't have as much, in the way of manners when it comes to saying please and thank you. And maybe if you ask some of uh, the teachers in the congregation here, I know that there's some, they might tell you of how over the years they taught, they heard please and thank you a little bit less, uh, maybe. So, by way of uh, introduction, young people, make sure that you prove uh, those older people wrong. And uh, be grateful at every opportunity that you have, because that will shine so brightly in school against the lack of Thank yous, uh, maybe. But saying thank you is important uh, for all of us, isn't it? However old we are, it's important to say thank you. We know it's something that we should do with one another on a human level. But what about when it comes to God? How often do you say thank you to God? Would you say that you live a life of thanksgiving? Would you say that you live a life of grateful praise, well, this evening, I want to draw your attention to Psalm 100. It's only five verses long, but it is a stirring summons to worship. It is a powerful call to give thanks to the Lord our God. It comes after a few Psalms which have been proclaiming the Lord's kingship. They've spoken of the powerful rule and reign of Almighty God. We just read Psalm 99 earlier just to get a taste of that theme, but I'd encourage you this week to read them in your own time through the 90s of the Psalms, to encourage yourself in the sovereignty of our God. And so having sung of the Lord's kingship through those Psalms, we now have this hymn of praise and thanks to the Lord for his greatness and for his goodness. And so I've got three truths for you this evening that I want you to take with you into this week. That they might shape you so that you might have a life this week that is one we could describe as a life of grateful praise. That you will live a life of grateful praise unto the Lord this week. And the first truth is found in verses 1 and 2. And it's very simply this. God is to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped. And you might be thinking, well, tell us something that we don't already know, Dav. But brothers and sisters, we must hear this reminder so regularly because we so often forget it, don't we? We forget it. Our attention can be taken by so many other things. Certainly, our lives would suggest that we often forget that God is to be worshipped above all others. We so often forget that God is to be worshipped. That's what you and I were made for. We were created that we might know God and worship him and glorify him and bring honor to his name. Indeed, as a church, universally, and this very church here this evening, exists to glorify our God. To to worship him in all that we do. That he might have prime position in our lives and in our thinking and in our actions. And so let's look at the encouragement the psalmist gives us here in verses one and two. We read, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. The psalmist calls on all the earth to come and to worship the Almighty King. The worship of God is to be universal. All the earth, every land is exhorted to worship God. And so that means that there is nobody anywhere who escapes this. And that includes you, the whole earth. You live on it. It includes you. Every tribe and tongue and nation are to shout for joy to the Lord. We, and indeed the whole world, are to recognize who God really is. And because of who he is, to worship him. And his name tells us all that we need to know. His name, the Lord or Yahweh in the original language, is the name of the only true God, the name he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3. The God of covenant, the God who makes promises and keeps promises. And we, his people, we only exist because of his grace, because of his blessing. And so, what else are you and I to be but joyful? We're to be full of joy. It should flow out of us. It should characterize us and our worship. And having celebrated the kingship, authority, and sovereignty of God in the Psalms that came before, now in Psalm 100 we are encouraged to praise. If God is king, if he is a sovereignly faithful God of covenant, then what can our worship be but joyful? Away with funeral faces and dreadful dirges, says John Stott about this. And he's right, isn't he? May God forgive us if our demeanor is ever joyless, if our attitude is ever miserable, instead of being joyful with an attitude of thanksgiving to our God for who he is and what he has done. If God really is who he says he is, well then surely joy and gladness and full-hearted, enthusiastic singing is to accompany our worship as opposed to a quiet mumble under our breaths when we come to sing together. Shout for joy to the Lord. Don't keep quiet about it, but in a thoughtful and a deliberate way, worship him with heart and soul and mind and strength as you come before him with joyful songs. Now, we don't want to overstate what uh, joyful noise unto the Lord or shout for joy to the Lord means. But the original word there signifies a glad shout, which would be what loyal subjects would give their king when he appeared among them. So you can imagine the scene, can't you? The people of a kingdom have heard that their ruler has returned victorious from a battle and they gather in a large public square outside the king's castle, maybe. And there they are waiting patiently until the trumpet sounds and out walks the the triumphant sovereign king, waving to his adoring public, lapping up the applause, and he's taking in the almighty cheer that goes up when they see their conqueror king. There's no half-hearted hooray here. There is a full-throated shout of celebration that the king has appeared among them. Brothers and sisters, our God should be worshipped by us, his people who are full of joy. For our God has appeared among us. Spurgeon says of this that our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. Our God is a gracious God, isn't he? And so he is to be served with joy. And we are all freely invited to come and to worship the Lord with gladness. Aren't you glad to know the Lord? Aren't you glad to know your creator? Aren't you glad to know your redeemer? Aren't you glad to know your king? Aren't you glad to joyfully live in harmony with your creating, saving God? Are you glad? And so won't you therefore want to make it a priority to come together with brothers and sisters and sing his praise to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, as Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Won't you want to come before him with joyful songs? Maybe you think it doesn't matter if you miss a Sunday here or there, or maybe you think once a Sunday is enough, or maybe you think it's easier to catch up online in the week. Sometimes instead of coming before the Lord with joyful songs. But friends, let's see in the rest of this Psalm the reasons the Psalmist gives us as to why God is to be worshipped and why that should be an absolute priority for us. Why should all the nations join together in praise of the Lord? Why should you and I come together with joy and gladness to praise our gracious God? And the answer our Psalm gives us here this evening is, is a rather simple one. It's because God is great and God is good. That brings us to the second truth this evening, which is found in verse 3. God is great. God is great. It's as simple as that. That's what verse 3 is showing us. Let's see what it says. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Know that the Lord is God. That means acknowledge God for who he is. Confess him as the one who rules over you. I wonder, do you know this truth tonight? Do you know that the Lord is God and there is none other besides him? Again, John Stott helps us here when he says, how we worship depends on what we know. Knowledge and understanding play an important part in our worship. Christians do not worship an unknown God like the ancient Athenians, but a God who has revealed himself that is so important because it means our our worship of god is based on fact it's not based on emotion emotion isn't unimportant but our worship is based on truth not how we feel and so we are summoned to know as we worship the one true living god who alone is great and good you see all of us worship something You might not have realized that, but it's an undeniable fact that every human being worships something. All of us value, all of us treasure, and put all of our efforts and focus into something. And the Bible is clear that if that is not God, if you don't worship God, then what you're doing is worshiping an idol. You're worshiping the created instead of the creator. Romans 1 tells us that. And the things that you worship are not, nor can they ever, replace God. They fall so far short of the greatness of God. And of course, for the psalmist, he would have known of God's greatness in the way that the people of Israel were redeemed from slavery in Egypt and safely settled them in the promised land. And so as the sovereign, redeeming work of God is in the mind of the psalmist here in verse 3, we've got two illustrations here in this verse that help us to appreciate the greatness of our God as he has revealed himself to us. And so this is important. No matter how you feel this week, If you know these truths, then they will act as ballast in the storm. They will act as the reference point on the map when you feel completely lost. And the first illustration is that of a craftsman or a potter. I don't know if you've ever done any pottery. I gave up art in school at the first opportunity. I was no good at it at all. But even the finest artist in all the world comes nowhere near to the creative craftsman of our God. The psalmist writes... Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. It is God who made us. It is God who is the creator of all things. You and I are not here by accident. We are not the result of millions of random chemical and biological reactions. Life has no ultimate meaning or purpose if we're all just here by accident, No, we have been deliberately formed and designed in delicate balance that we might live and breathe and have our being. You and I are body and soul. There's more than life to the physical, but we are physical nonetheless. Recently, we've come to live with someone who's got very tiny hands and tiny knuckles and tiny fingers and tiny fingernails, and it's all so intricate. And, And it's staggering, really, to see the wonder of the creation of a human body just in a hand. But equally, your 50-year-old hand or your 70-year-old hand or your 80-year-old hand and what it can do as you've grown up are just as delicately made and wonderfully designed as well. We really are fearfully and wonderfully made by our great God. But it is not just physical. It is spiritual as well. The development of science now means that we can replicate quite a lot of cells in a lab But nobody can create a soul. Nobody can truly create life. Only God can do that. God creates life. We are who we are because we have been made in the image of God. God created each human life, and each is special in His sight, graciously given by Him. And God didn't just make one or two of us and leave it at that. He made every single person who has ever existed. We are here because God says so. And that means we're accountable to him. He is our Lord. He is our King. There is none other than the Lord who is God. Doesn't that humble you this evening? Isn't it amazing to think that you are here tonight because God says so? You've lived the life that you have up to now because God has said so. God has made you. And so, friends, that means that all of us are accountable to him. All of us have been made by the master craftsman of the Lord God Almighty. But it is not just true that the Lord has made us individually. That is absolutely true. But it's true collectively as well. Look again at what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, it is he who made us, and we are his. And so this is speaking of something collective as well, specifically here, the people of Israel. Who elsewhere, like in Isaiah 60 in verse 21, The people of Israel are called there by God, the work of my hands. And so think of of the immense skill and patience the divine potter displayed as he formed his people in the Old Testament. Those who were stubborn and wayward, who were deserving of abandonment, but he didn't give up on his people. He persevered with them, undeterred by the numerous setbacks of disobedience to his good commands. We know, don't we, that our God continued to be so patient and gracious with his people to fashion them into into a vessel fit for his own use. And isn't that the same for us today? Can you say this? I think we can. Of Bethel tonight and every gospel church across the world, it's the Lord who made us and we are his. Think of how undeserving and wayward you and I are. Think of our stubbornness and coldness and disobedience that would lead others to give up on us. And yet tonight you and I can say together, we are his. We are his. We really are. We belong to Jesus Christ and he belongs to us. We are his. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're children of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he has brought us together as brothers and sisters. He has made us and we are his. He is building his church. It is he who has made us and it is he who will take care of his own glory. I wonder, do you believe that this evening? That we are his? Or do you think that you need to do your bit to make sure that God's church is built? Of course it's staggering. The privilege it is that the Lord chooses to use us as his ambassadors in this world to, to reach out with the hope of the gospel, and we should do that. But you and I don't build the church. It's he who made us, and we are his. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that you are a part of God's people who he has graciously brought together, that you are his? It's a privileged position, isn't it? For us this evening, if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's further emphasized in the second illustration in this verse. That helps us to grasp the greatness of our God. We're told that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. How privileged you are this evening, Christian, to be numbered among the sheep of his pasture. Do you know that? Do you know how privileged a position you have tonight? If the glorious triune God is your Lord, then there are great benefits that are uniquely enjoyed in being a part of his people. The potter who made us is also the shepherd who looks upon us, who tends to us, who cares for us, who is concerned for us, who has an intimate interest in us. He is the one who sustains us and keeps us and protects us and provides for us everything that we need. Through every act, and through every down, upon the hillside and down in the valleys, in all of the changing scenes of life, he protects us, he guides us, he watches over us with compassion and care. It's incredible, isn't it? Maybe you know very well that this imagery of, of a shepherd is one that the Bible picks up many times. Like in Psalm 23, we sang it earlier, where the Lord is described by David as being a personal shepherd, one that he knows personally, as one who abundantly provides for his every need, going before him and blessing him. Again, just as the Lord was a tender shepherd to his people Israel, so he is with us too. God has redeemed us. He has brought us to himself. And we can say this evening with great confidence that we are the sheep of his pasture because of our saviour Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great potter and shepherd. It is through him that nothing was made that has been made. He is our maker. We are here because of him. And the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is our saviour as he went to the cross for the sins of the world and rose again from the dead, proving himself to be the reigning Lord of all. That today we might live for him and be with him for all eternity. Is there any better picture, any better way of more clearly and emphatically illustrating what we owe to the sovereign grace of our loving God? It is he who made us and we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. We didn't create ourselves. We can't sustain ourselves. We haven't saved ourselves. And we haven't established ourselves as the people of God either. No, it is all of the sovereign grace of God, isn't it? We are who we are by the amazing grace of God. And so this should lead us firmly away from pride to praise. I wonder, friend, if this evening you're hearing and you're realizing and you're understanding even for the very first time the truth that you've been deliberately made, that this whole world continues to exist because there is a sovereign, gracious God who loves you with a shepherd-like care. Do you believe that this evening? And do you believe that the church... Across the world and even this very church exists not because some people got together a century ago and thought it was a good idea to suit some agenda. But because God has designed it. That it is the vital way that all those who have been saved from their sins by the amazing grace of God are to go on in community with one another. If you do believe this, then who we are as the saved people of God, as the redeemed sheep of his pasture, it will lead us. To praise. There's no cause for pride. No cause for self-exaltation here. But there is cause for praise. And exaltation of our Lord and God. There is reason to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Because he is great. Do you see that? Do you see the greatness of our God here in this verse? Our God is great. Jesus Christ is great. And so he is to be worshipped. And that's what continues on in verse 4. As we come to the the third truth I want to highlight to you this evening, the psalmist bursts out into another call to worship, another shout of praise as we see that God is good. God is good in verses 4 and 5. Our worship is to be joyful, and it is to be full of joy very simply because it is grateful. That's what verse 4 tells us. Look at what it says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving... And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Again, we're encouraged to worship, to come, to enter the Lord's gates with thanksgiving. Just like back at the start in verse 1, we see that God is worthy to be worshipped. You and I are to come with thanksgiving and praise. But how can we come? What right do you and I have to come? Are we worthy to come? Well, one writer comments on verse 4 by saying, The simplicity of this invitation may conceal the wonder of it. For the courts are truly his, not ours, and the gates are shut to the unclean. Yet, not only his outer courts, but the holy of holies itself are thrown open by the new and living way, and we are welcome." We are welcome. The very fact that you and I know God today, the very fact that any of us have been saved, the very fact that we can enter his gates, the very fact that you and I can come before our God in worship and thanks is because of his great mercy. As sinful men and women who have received such rich mercy, well, then we must, mustn't we? We must be givers of thanks and people who praise our God For his mercy. Christian please don't ever take for granted. That you've been saved. Don't ever lose the wonder of your salvation. Don't ever let complacency become your normal. When it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Don't presume upon the fact that. You are able to respond to the invitation of the psalmist. In approaching God. In praise and in thanksgiving. Don't do that. Because. We only are who we are today because the Lord has been so merciful to us. He has been so kind. And so will we not want to come before him with thanksgiving and praise? When we want to live a life of praise this week to our gods? The very fact that a new and a living way has been opened up for us to come before our great God is in itself incredible. And more than enough reason for praise. And yet as we come to verse 5, there's even more. Take a look at the incredible promise there at the end of this psalm. Let the words encourage you and strengthen you. As we read there, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God is good. Do you believe that this evening? That he is good, and all he does is good. Do you know that God is good? I don't know, maybe you've had a really tough time spiritually this week, over the last months. Maybe you've been a bit low recently, and you've struggled in your walk with the Lord. You're feeling a bit spiritually dry or cold in heart. Maybe you're just about hanging in there, in the fight of faith, and putting one foot in front of another almost feels like it's too much for you. And if that is you, brother, sister, will then hear these words and let them sink deep down into the struggle of your spiritual dryness or your suffering or your sorrow or your grief. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Yes, God is great, but yes, he is also good. You and I, we can praise our God tonight and tomorrow and every day this week and on for the rest of our lives, not only because of the great things He has done, but also because of who He is. The goodness of God is found in Himself, in His very being. God's goodness is found in His love, which endures forever, and His faithfulness, which never ceases. God is good. He is full of love and faithfulness, and he remains faithful to his people because he has promised to be faithful to his people. He has covenanted to do so. Brothers and sisters, our God really is a covenant keeping God. He's not fickle like we are, He's not faithless like we are so prone to be. No, His word is dependable, it is firm, it is secure, and it will never fail because it is eternal. His precious promises are trustworthy and true and you can build your life on him. We read in Psalm 90 and verse 2 that before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From generation to generation, he remains the same. Our God is unchanging in his faithfulness and in his loving compassion. The psalmist knew this to be true when he wrote these words words a couple of thousand years ago, which is why he was full of grateful praise to his good and great God. And brothers and sisters, nothing has changed because the writer to the Hebrews makes it very clear in chapter 13 and verse 8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the truths of this psalm are true for us today in 2023 because of the Lord Jesus Christ. His love endures forever. His love still reaches out to you this evening. It can be known by you this week because his love endured the depths of hell as he hung on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. And it is because of him, the way, the truth and the life that we can come to God. It is as he cried out on the cross that it is finished, that that big thick curtain of the temple that cut off the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was torn in two from top to bottom. Signifying that a way had been made, a new and a living way to God. Because the problem of our sin and the punishment deserved by us, it was taken by our Saviour. And so it is because of Jesus Christ that you and I can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Oh friends, isn't God good? Or encouraged here, summoned even in Psalm 100 to worship The Lord, not just because he has made us, which he has, not just because he's kept us, which he does, not just because he's drawn us to himself, but because he will never let us go. His love endures forever. He really is good. And so allow me one more helpful quote from our brother John Stott. It's such an encouragement. I thought it was anyway. It says this, the heavenly potter will never discard his work. He will persist in fashioning it into a vessel that is beautiful and useful. The heavenly shepherd will never abandon his sheep. He will make them lie down in green pastures and lead them beside still waters. His goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their life. You, Christian, are forever safe in the arms of the shepherd this evening. No matter what you have going on in your life this week, Maybe life is so hectic with work and family life. Maybe the health concerns that you have for yourself or for a loved one, they're not going away. Maybe financial pressures are are building on you slowly. Maybe you feel far from the Lord this evening, and yet you are still safe in the hand of the potter and the arms of the shepherd. How do we know that? How can we give grateful praise to our God this week? Because the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness really does continue through all generations. You won't find many better summaries of our God and his character than this. He's so good. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so abundantly generous. He's so faithful. He's so merciful. He's so loving because he's love itself. I wonder, do you know him? Do you trust him? Will you allow the word of God, brother, or sister, this evening to, to spur you on? Will you set out this week in the strength of the Holy Spirit to, to live a life of grateful praise and thanks? You move to praise your God tonight. Are you thrilled in your soul that God's everlasting mercy has been displayed towards you? That from before the creation of the world, God set his love upon you. And it shall be yours forevermore as it was most supremely demonstrated in the person and work of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us this evening and this week to worship him for his greatness and for his goodness. May he help us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, to give thanks to him, to praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this evening, how it encourages our souls to be reminded of your goodness and your greatness. We are humbled that many of us can say that we are a part of your people this evening, that we are yours. Help all of us to trust in you this week, to put you first and to worship you above all others. Strengthen us to live a life of grateful praise because of who you are and all you have done for us. As we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.